curious minds. And here's your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse. It's us, Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop, and a special sponsor, uh, Tarot by Ginger at tarotbyginger.com. And if you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Sally Wolf. And she is a psychologist, and she has a book called Life of a Military Psychologist. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. So, um, like, wh- how, how did you get into becoming a military psychologist? I mean, that has to be probably the most difficult psychology place to be practicing psychology. You know, it's interesting. I uh, actually was born into a military family, so I'm thinking that somewhere in my consciousness that that uh, directed me in some aspect. But realistically, I am drawn into the the work as a consequence of being offered a position. And where I live in the San Diego area is adjacent to military bases, and I have a great deal of training in trauma. So it was a natural fit for me and one which I've really very much cared about and benefited from and been able to offer the tools that I, that I have. Interesting. Um, so what experiences motivated you to write the book? Well, I appreciate that question. And I, I've listened to your podcast and I, I feel like in terms of consciousness and in terms of wanting to really assist individuals with their path, if you would, Um, the awakening of what is best for me. Trying to live in a conscious way every day is pretty tough for all of us with everything going on. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) I definitely agree. I wish I could achieve that every single day. Right. And so that's that in and of itself is is a challenge. So I wrote the book because of the cost of caring. And the book really begins with the incident at Fort Hood where a military psychiatrist turned on uh, a ready deployment center and a great deal of, of death was, uh, was acquired. Now, that seems a bit shocking to start a book that way, but it really was about being able to understand. First of all, we thought that this was someone in our stead in the military clinical world that had just snapped. But as, of course, the news played out over time, it was a great deal more than that. But that's really what stimulated this, is to understand the cost of caring. Charles Figley talks about compassion fatigue. Have you ever heard of compassion fatigue? 
Um, no. What exactly is it? Well, compassion fatigue is those that give. It could be a caregiver. could be a caregiver in a variety of different circumstances, not necessarily the military. Mm -hmm. But the idea that over time, if you give beyond your ability without rest, without reflection, without conscious uh, care for yourself, you can see it show up physically, mentally, emotionally. And so over time, what this book is about is it's really about being able to set boundaries, being able to take care of yourself. And it's said, of course, it's a, a fictional book and it's drawn upon a, an amalgamation of characters where everyone from the clinician, the protagonist in this book, as well as the individuals have not been able to care for themselves, recognize danger, and go on from there. So actually, that's what it's really about, you know? Hmm. So as a, like a, like a caregiver in any type of situation, um, I mean, it's automatic to put the other person's welfare before your own. Um, so, so how do you do that? Like, how do you take care of yourself in those types of situations? Well, I, I think you're exactly right with that, you know, observation. The point of this is that in terms of taking care of yourself, if you don't care for yourself emotionally and physically, if you don't take breaks, if you don't do something like deep breathing, how do you prepare yourself before you go on the air with your podcast? Do you I have a ritual you do? No, I don't have anything. You don't? No. Ah. Well, I think you might be amazed if you reflect on it over time, is that during the day, for instance, if someone feels stressed, stopping and doing deep breathing, taking it in for a count of four, blowing it out after a count of four, or any number of things, for instance, that will help you build resiliency. So it starts with very little things, like five minutes. It can really help someone. And so this book, although there are really, um, it, it's it's a very exciting book in the terms of the, the mysteries. At the core, it's about stopping, it's about being conscious, and it's about, you know that Maya Angelou quote where if someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time? Have you no, heard that? I've never heard it. And so what that's about, because you'll see in the book, is that it's a very clear glimpse into the world of domestic violence treatment and uh, sexual assault treatment in the military. And what that is, is simply understanding the legacies that everyone carries with them and about understanding what you're willing to do for yourself as opposed to just continue on unconsciously in terms of a relationship, a job, a situation where you need to find your voice and all the things that impinge upon that. Um, so when a person like like we we, we talk about like like go, we're going through life like unconsciously, um, you know, like I know you like like for myself, um, one of the hardest things for me to do is to be able to self evaluate my emotions and my motivations um in a in, in a way that you know because i'm always going to put myself like in the like in the best spot you know what i mean so like i'm like the worst person to be evaluating myself um and so you're saying that 
you put yourself in the best spot. Yeah, like, like, like when you like, talk about like, like these people with violence and stuff like that. Well, I think that you know when you're talking about trauma, for instance, mm-hmm. and inflicting trauma or having grown up with trauma, there are a lot of ways to get to the healing of that, so you don't inflict that upon someone else. And even in a situation where someone's not overtly harming someone, they carry with them a sense of everything, the sum total of their experience growing up. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then one of the ways that's not talk therapy, it's not like I need to get you to look at that and talk about it, is EMDR. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard the term, but I don't remember what exactly yeah. what it means. Okay. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And that's a non-talk therapy way of accessing trauma and healing individuals of the trauma. And it's done in several ways. Would you like me to share that with you? Absolutely. It's done visually, either with um, a bilateral motion of simply waving two fingers, the clinician in front of the person's eyes and their eyes are moving back and forth in their head and or audio. There's a great deal, a number of music recordings that bilateral stimulation for the brain. So if it's a recording of water or piano music, waterfalls, whatever your choice is, it's put into headphones and then it's bilaterally um, echoed into each side of your head. And so then the other is kinesthetic by touch. Mm-hmm. So you have these, what they call tappers. Yeah. And you simply hold one in each hand. You've heard of that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it that. just does a, a beep, beep, a, a, a pulsation into each hand. And it can be lowered. It can be increased or lowered depending on your tolerance. But simply you start at a point and then you offer these various modes. There's also a light wall that they call it that goes back and forth that your eyes can follow. And it was developed by Francine Shapiro years ago. And it really was developed just simply, she was walking through this um, surrounding of trees and started noticing she had a lot of the mind, started looking back and forth. And that was the founding of it many years ago. And now it's developed into something that's been accredited for helping a lot of people. So simply you'd sit with a therapist, they would do that. Your brain knows what to do. It's not talking, it's simply starting at a touch point. And then at some point, then it's very much like seeing images on a train. You know how you can be moving down a track on a train and you watch these images go by? Mm -hmm. And so it's very much like that. And at the end of it, over time, not to make it too simplistic, then what is amazing about that is that the trauma that had been intervening in this person's life so much is actually they look at you and they think, yeah, it wasn't so bad. It's actually very much relieved and they're able to go on with their life. The reason why I mention that is that I know in terms of some of what I've listened to in terms of your podcast is that idea in terms of psychology is that very often it can't, it may not be effective. Is that correct? I don't know. You know, oh. um, like I, I find like like regular therapy, um, 
I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, honestly, right now, like I'm, I'm, I'm curious though, like like how these methods of, of um, you know using visual things and and audio uh-huh. and touch, how how that um, undoes trauma in the brain, because um, because the brain, like I, I I'm assuming, like my understanding of trauma is that that these neural pathways are created in the brain, right. and so when we experience certain types of triggers that neural pathways what's used and that causes people to act in a negative way um so so therefore that kind of needs to be rerouted how, how does this different type of stimulation reroute the brain's neural trans uh, neural pathways well I, I would love to answer that question and i think that that's really in all these different therapies when say for instance you talk about the paranormal and we look at the definition of that as being uh, beyond explanation of science or or reason, correct? Right. And so this falls within that, absolutely. Because as much as the studies prove that it works so well, I don't think that they have completely codified exactly which pathways it inhibits and such. They have ideas, but frankly, I, I don't think that it's been established. Um, it's it's viewed as a, a working treatment that works very well. But in terms of really exactly identifying that, I haven't seen that. Hmm. Now, you know, it's interesting because Andrew Weil, the, the MD who talks about altering your consciousness, talks a lot about the human beings very much have wanted to do that forever. Like, have you ever rolled down a hill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that alters your consciousness, right? Yeah. Makes you dizzy. And so that's probably, what's that? Makes you dizzy. <laughs> yeah, it totally does. And it makes your world change immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of, let's say, for instance, the other work I do is guided imagery. Have you ever done that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that, did you find it effective and relaxing? Sometimes it does. Sometimes I have trouble focusing. Ah. And, um, and so in terms of that, being able to take someone on a visual journey inside their own head, they're not really seeing anything except what's mirrored in their mind, and they're not feeling a cold breeze. Say, for instance, you walk through a mountain path, and you're feeling all of the green grass around you, you're feeling the, the warmth of the sun on you, and you're feeling the breeze on your face. You're not actually feeling that, but sometimes people are able to really take that in and experience that journey. Is that some of what you did? Yeah, yeah, it was like that, yes. Yeah, and so the times where you felt it really was relaxing or de-stressing were the times that you could really allow yourself to become immersed in it, correct? Correct, but but those times when I'm able to get immersed into it are times like where I'm already relaxed. Where uh-huh. if I'm like up, like stressed out, I find it much more difficult to focus and create those images. Yeah. No, I understand. You know, there were a bunch of us sent to TM um, with the military to learn transcendental meditation. And I've, I've been through a lot of those different um, trainings, but I love this one because it's exactly what worked where you just described. Because we would be stressed out, but all it would really have us do, we'd be given a mantra, of course, but it would be about 20 minutes, not more than that. We could do it in our office. And what was different about the certain trainings that I had that 
was really helpful for me was that whatever you thought, whatever was stressful on your mind, don't fight it. Just embrace it. You know, whether you let it go in in one ear and out the other, or whether you just don't fight with it, seemed to be one of the most uh, positive and one of the most effective ways to both relax, to de-stress, and also to accept your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I think mindfulness is very much like that. It's it's quite vogue now, and Zen really developed that because of what you just described. Very stressed out individuals at university, other doctors, but being allowed to just remain in the present and notice your thoughts. Did you mm -hmm. ever try that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've done a lot of meditation. One of the things that just popped into my head was like when we were talking about the visual and audio stimulation things, it kind of reminds me of like how a koan would work in Zen. Tell me more about that. Well, like you'll ask a question that really can't be answered by, by the rational mind, like it can't be rationalized out. So the mind sort of just gets stuck and blanks out and, you know, just go in a different direction. Right. Yeah, I think that's really well said. So the more you try to manipulate your mind, the more that you try to direct it, it's really ineffective, right? Mm -hmm. It's about the Zen piece of just be still and be is, and I think that that is across the board. And so, for instance, like with the book that I wrote, is that it's really about that journey inside yourself until you come to a point where you find what works for you and that you stay the course because many people are in survival mode these days, especially, especially clinicians and such. And then they end up on the other side of burnout. So, and I think telling stories is a great way to go. This is a fictional piece, but it very much encapsulates certainly what goes on in the military or other situations in terms of both treatment, both clarity. But at the end of the day and the ending of the book, there's both tragedy as well as someone coming to terms with themselves. And I, I think that as we explore all the avenues in our world, our inner self, the spirit we have within us is probably the most evocative, the most exciting place to go because many people have opinions but as you already cited, there's no conclusive evidence that can be explained in terms of our inner being, right? Right. Um, so, you know, one other thing mm -hmm. I want to offer you, yeah. I don't want to interrupt, is that, and I, I use this with these characters in the book, mm -hmm. is that the neurolinguistic psychology um, is a really great tool. And if you're feeling stressed, but you can't focus, one of the things when you do have a, say, a Maslow, a peak experience, have you ever had that? No. You've never had a peak experience? I'm not really, like, what is exactly is a peak experience? Just something incredibly satisfying and, and really enjoyable. Something where you just, like, s smile, whether inside or out. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. sheer pleasure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so the importance of that is that if you can't focus during the time where you are relaxed before you're in that space is if you just take your index finger and your thumb and you put it together like this, like you're saying, okay, mm -hmm. to someone, right? right? And you sit for a moment and then this is not while you're stressed, but you sit for a moment and you just fully remember this in every part of your body. You can scan your body. You can 
um, just roll your head around, whatever it is that you find to really relax yourself. And as you're doing that, you bring up that memory of sheer pleasure and the experience. And what that does when you have this in the okay position where your thumb is anchored to is it, it anchors it literally. Mm -hmm. So that, and if you practice this, if you're in a stressful situation where you can't focus and you want to relax more or de-stress, then you simply bring the finger with the thumb together and close your eyes for a minute and you're there. And I've, I've had this work really well with myself or others. And it's a great tool if you cannot focus or you're feeling stressed or you don't have words. Hmm. Interesting. NLP, that's like the neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah. Um, which is something that usually is used by salespeople. Well, you know, it, it didn't used to be. When, when Bender and Grinder developed it years ago, um, they really put so much effort into not using it as a manipulative piece, which I think you're so right. I, of course, I know about sales tactics, but this is really beyond that. This is um, assisting and healing yourself, and it's not about manipulation, like the look over to the left, look over to the right, look at what is someone doing, that kind of thing. And so I think in any of these tools, they can be used for manipulation in terms of that. But I think that's a very short-lived usage because I think people are smarter than that. I think people know, and I think the more you tune into yourself and trust your gut, trust your instinct. And I think that's probably the best piece when we talk about sales using it. Someone truly trusts their gut. And like that Maya Angelou quote that I threw out, mm -hmm. they'll show you who they are. And if they're trying to do that, that's not really what you want to go with, right? Right. Interesting. Um, so what about, like, like is there any, like you mentioned, we were talking about a little bit about talk therapy. Like, does that still, uh -huh. is that still a viable way of treating people? Or are we, oh. are we moving past that in, in the world of psychology to other things? Well, I can't speak for all of psychology because there's so many different therapists and modes out there, but I certainly will address the question is that cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT as they call it, mm -hmm. is very much used. And again, if it's used really well so that all of us have talk in our head, right? right. You agree with that? Yes. So whatever that talk is, that our self-talk, it can be positive or negative, mm -hmm. right? On any given day, under like you had said earlier, triggers... And that, so the better you know yourself, but, but really to, and all of this takes practice to break a habit, for instance. But if you find yourself constantly talking to yourself in a negative way, then interrupting or disrupting that kind of thinking can be really helpful for someone. And it's not what the therapist is telling them to do. It's having them identify what is of no real positive use for them in their life in their self-talk, and to be able to, with practice, be able to change that so that they can really build their resiliency and know what they're thinking at any given moment. But it really calls back the question again, how conscious do you want? And are you in survival mode? Because given circumstances, sometimes people don't really want to try to do that because they're too busy getting on with trying to live and survive. Hmm. 
So what do we do about that? Like, what, how, how do you get people out of survival mode? Like, do all their needs first have to be met before a person can come out of survival mode and deal well, with know, trauma? you know, I think that's, that's a great question. And I think, you know, some of the past uh, psychologists like Maslow talked about your need for safety. You have to have enough to eat, you know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's certainly... Um, that is one of the areas where someone could identify that they need to eat before they can meditate. You know, that may not be square with Eastern philosophy because clearly um, that's a different perspective. But I think that um, there is a certain amount of truth to that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And also meeting someone, immersing yourself, like for instance, you're asking these questions, which is great. We're talking about it, which is great because it brings to, um, before the consciousness of really even addressing the questions. So being able to find yourself with people that support your inward thoughts and your desire to be better, to find what satisfies you, that's important. And sometimes, depending on a legacy, and I again, I've heard this, Sarah Payton on your podcast, I really enjoyed what she was saying, and some of the others in terms of legacy mm-hmm. is that, we grow up in certain environments where certain uh, questions aren't even allowed to be asked, right? Right. Um, so back to the survival mode thing like, is, is something that I know me personally, I find it difficult to even get out of survival mode. It's, to me, it's like I'm always in survival mode because – it's so difficult to actually have everything that you need. Yeah, I think this, uh, this time in our history, uh, absolutely. I think you're 100% right. And so I think that, um, and that's why if you are bothered by these thoughts and they could be, you feel the way you do for a good reason. I think that's number one is to really acknowledge that it's reasonable that you feel this way. And so given that, that's a really good beginning because a lot of people beat themselves up over thinking they shouldn't be thinking the way they do, right? I do it all the time, like constantly. Well, so the, the first piece is accepting how you feel and realizing you do feel the way you do for a good reason. And then building on that, what do you want to do about it? And so that piece, and I, I mean, I would think your podcast is all about that, right? Um, I mean, it, it is about providing people with information, uh, that they may not be able to get anywhere else that, you know, hopefully that'll help them. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think that's the big takeaway in listening to your work. I think that the questions you ask and the people that you have on have perspectives that broaden people's experience and mind. Yeah. And I think that's really important. It's really important. And then again, to... Uh, when you feel very stressed out, know that you can do something about it because people sometimes don't feel that they can and they can get hopeless. You know, if they're, say, for instance, you have a chronic injury or you're ill, it's it's really, it's on a pathway of getting discouraged and getting depressed and, you know, all of those pieces. So getting help for that. And I don't mean a psychologist necessarily. I mean a healers that you respect, that you feel really nurture who you are. Hmm. Um, 
Is it normal, like, for people? Like, I know this, I'm just, this is actually a personal question where a person's like okay for a while, you know, they're functioning, they're doing well, you know, and then, um, then they, t- they, t- they just like go backwards and can never go forward again. Well, I think that that's some, that's something that I'm, I'm not going to, address what's normal or not because mm-hmm. what's normal for each person is very very different like their seasonal affective like certain times of the year are are really like fall for instance people find themselves feeling their moods are depressed but what i will say about that is that what is unique to you is really important and whether it's something that you're not aware of that you haven't brought to consciousness there's an anniversary date there's something that is at a particular time of year, I mean, a song, a place, any kind of these kinds of situations can trigger thoughts and feelings to really enhance different moods and especially in survival mode. Mm -hmm. It takes work to establish. When I was asking you, how do you prepare for your podcast and you don't do anything? My hunch is, is that you probably do something that's a ritual for you. But in terms of improving mood over time is that, for instance, morning, noon and night, for instance, it's really important to have a plan to do deep breathing or Tai Chi in the morning or simply stretching, going for a walk, getting outside. Because you're inside with your work and such, um, going outside, listening to music, doing that three times a day is like a prophylactic, if you will, Mm -hmm. in order to preserve your mood and to heighten it. And then there are other factors that I don't know about that I can't speak to that are personal to you. And so just meeting you, those are the the things that are probably important. The other piece is that many people find at the end of the day that they're busy all during the day. And at the end of the day, we call it the residue of the day, things pile up. And so before going to sleep, that's why rituals before you go to sleep are across the board talked about from physicians, nurses, nutritionists, all say prepare yourself for sleep. Do like un- unplug an hour before, um, listen to music, take a bath, take, you know, read something, but don't overstimulate yourself, those kinds of things. And then over time, you would probably know a di- notice a difference, but it is over time because for all of us, we would like when we feel that way to have it be relieved pretty fast, right? Oh, absolutely. I wanted to go on as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, but the good news about it is, is that you, over time, you will feel better. Unless mm. there is some major thing that I don't know about or a medical concern that might really be um, affecting it. Right. Is that helpful? Oh, absolutely. Very helpful. Um, how about like for, for like, like, like when you're like in a military situation, you're going to be hit with sudden unexpected trauma all the time. And you're going to be constantly bombarded by it. Like, like how does somebody handle that kind of situation? Well, let me make a distinction here. Um, I was not with naval medicine. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important. I was with uh, the Marine Corps. And I have to reiterate that this is a fictional book. Yeah. But what you're saying is actually very true. So, again, 
Uh, debriefing is really important with a colleague that's totally confidential when you process something like that. And again, it's over time because Charles Figley, and if you check him out, it's really interesting because he's written a lot about it, uh, compassion fatigue. So it's what, and you describe it very well there. And so they started studying that with nurses back in the 50s. That's how long ago. And they noticed that over time, nurses that were rendering care to individuals that were, of course, in need of a great deal of care, experienced a, um, a physical reaction. They were tired and across the board. And also, it's so interesting, they really started questioning themselves and their ability in terms of outcomes of patients, which they had no control over. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. And so that can erode your sense of well-being and your sense of purpose. And that's why it's so important to address it. Because the same thing can be said, not only of military uh, caregivers, however, it's individuals, say, with, that are caring for their parents at, a, at an aged uh, chronic illness situation or a special needs child is that it's simply exhausting. And because of the financial burden, uh, people can't hire other people to help them. And so addressing the problem is really key and being able to let them know it is very reasonable that you get discouraged, that you get burned out, and, and that there is help for that. So I think that that's one of the biggest things about the book and to very much um, listen to your gut. Because when you're in survival mode, and, and you can certainly jump in and correct me if you don't think this is true. When you're in survival mode, you're not doing a great deal of self-reflection. I don't, probably, probably because you're just looking at surviving whatever's in front of you. Um, yeah. Possibly later on, you might reflect on what got you into that survival mode to begin with. Um, but that would probably occur afterwards. So, and yeah. so doing those pieces, like for instance, the guided imagery, um, there's a download that I did um, of a guided imagery experience in a garden that's gone certainly to, uh, to aid in situations where you can't take medication or such. But it's, it's something that has been used to help sleep and to... Um, to really be able to calm yourself. Can I send it to you? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Yeah, and it's that. something that's really been helpful. And it's a half an hour, so you don't have to listen to a half hour. Mm -hmm. um, generally, people fall asleep. Don't, don't listen to it when you're driving. Though, <laughs> that's the only caveat. But um, people have reflected to me. And... Um, it's funny because I got a lot of feedback. Animals like it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? There's a handicapper at a racetrack that got in touch with me that said her dog was so wired and so <laughs> frenetic. And she would leave this on for the dog while she went to the track and the dog was calmed down. So if a dog likes it, I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. So, with the, is there any types of, of, of 
trauma that people experience that can't be fixed? Well, I think there's so many variables in what you just described. Um, I would assume there must be. I don't know. Hmm. But I can tell you that I've seen a great deal of trauma healed. That's probably the only way to answer that. Um, you know, in the book, there's a character um, that's named Martinez, and she is a very tragic character. And what it is is that her mother was a domestic violence victim, and she sought out the same type of relationship, and and it was quite tragic in her situation. So what I'll say about trauma is that the journey to fully find healing for that trauma would really require too being able to step out of a cyclical situation or a legacy of of trauma and that's really that can be very challenging for someone because they find themselves going through living through the same scenario as their parents you know past mm -hmm. lives if you will interesting if a person is in survival mode too long and the only way out they see is suicide, how, how do you help people that, that, that reach that extreme where it's just like, like they're running, you know, they just can't escape? You know, it's like being stuck on like a hamster wheel. You know, that is, that's a really difficult situation. And I think that in terms of a desire for self-harm, that's very deep and very personal. And ultimately, you can do everything that was in, is within your power. We see it every day here, not only with military members who um, have survived huge traumas, but, for instance, national figures, musicians, artists that choose to take their lives in terms of death by suicide. Mm -hmm. um, I think that... At the end of the day, you can offer everything that's possible. You can, and their family members can love them. But if they're suffering so greatly, um, there's no way to get into their head to understand where and when that suffering will be too great, and to be able to absolutely keep them from it over time, constantly. Wow. If someone's hospitalized, and they're watched over, and they have treatment. Those are the kinds of preventative tools that can delay that certainly mm -hmm. and with and sometimes it does turn around very well and then other times it it very much is a pain that's beyond our understanding that they choose to uh, exercise that option hmm. are there any things that we can do culturally as individuals to help each other to cope with this kind of you know, trauma and emotional stuff that we carry around. Well, uh, I think you're doing it on your show, right? I mean, I do think that's mm -hmm. one of the underlying pieces of your podcast, and I think that's central to my work. Um, in my field, it's called cultural competence, to be aware of people around you that are different, that are longing for satisfaction, for poise, fulfillment, to be loved and to give love. And so in terms of that, I think acceptance, and I think that 
gentleness, I mean, civility. We've seen a lot of civility gone by the wayside over the last few years. And so for me, the only thing I can control is certainly my own behavior, mm -hmm. my own acceptance, my own respect and appreciation for different points of view without, I mean, there's so much anger out there, you know? What, what, uh, do, you, what do you think happened that caused this where people are no longer civil to each other? I, you know, I swear, like, like I grew up in a completely different world than what we're living in now. Me too. Yeah. And I can't no, make sense I, of it. <laughs> right. Well, I think the other piece is that you can't make sense of something that doesn't make sense. You know, however, in terms of hatred and across the board, um, we can see that certain people have incited hatred over the years historically. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, just not being a part of that and being able to work with people that are quite wounded by it. Words can be incredibly wounding. And so understanding what each of us, what comes out of my mouth every day, right? You just want to live for today and being in the present, like mindfulness. As much as you can be conscious of what comes out of your mouth, I think that's really where it starts, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, there's that old saying, like, uh, you know, there's, you have a thought, then a word, and then a word becomes right. an action. Right. Yeah. And that, that goes right along with the event response outcome, correct? Mm -hmm. So then, you know, that's what you have control over. And that's what, and the other piece is when people are in pain, we, not, we don't know what happened to them when they're in a lot of pain. They don't act really well. And so depending on how you can get to connecting with that person, sometimes it's possible. Sometimes it isn't, but the brute force going loggerheads with somebody doesn't really breed for compassionate communication. So there are other ways. Hmm. And that's a tough one too. It actually happens to me sometimes where my, my, my response will be a fight response that's completely inappropriate for the time. Yeah. You know? No, I, I think you say it really well because the fight or flight hormones, when they are popped, right, when mm -hmm. they are stimulated, it induces a physical, I mean, you're flooded with that, the adrenaline. So, um, and you know, it's interesting because I'll meet someone who say has an anger issue and I'll say to them, what happens before you get angry? They'll say, absolutely nothing. I just go from zero to 60 mm -hmm. immediately and I can't stop it. And I'm sure nothing comes before. But when you slow it down and you roll it back, this takes a relationship, a rapport, for someone even to be able to feel safe with you to do that. Um, because there are reasons why they get treatment. So, but you slow it down. So when you're in this situation, do you start feeling a tightness in your jaw? No, not a tight. Do you start just clenching your fist? Oh, yeah. No, I never noticed that before. So there are all these physical cues that happen in our bodies. Is your, your cheeks get tingly? You feel, pardon me, a pain in your neck. Uh, your vision narrows. Or someone tells you, you get the crazy eyes. You know, it's so funny <laughs> that um, someone will tell someone, it's usually a spouse or a, or a sibling, will say, oh, yeah, because once they ask them, 
There are clear signs and indicators. So it just begs the question of being able to, you know, they say count to 10 or yeah. take a beat, take a moment. There's so much truth to that, to be able to do that. But it, again, it takes a lot of work. It takes, I mean, and I don't want to be discouraging when I say that. It takes practice, let me say it that way, of being able to address yourself internally as you get triggered. And then there's a reason why someone is triggered. And so maybe we don't know that now. Maybe they want to explore it. But it's like road rage, for instance, you mm -hmm. know? How about, um, like we were talking, like I just mentioned, like, like, like a person has an anger response and then afterwards they feel bad for it and then they start beating themselves up over it and then it just creates this endless spiral that a person cannot get out of. Right. Well, what you just described is the, the power and control wheel in all kinds of situations. So first, and, and I'm going to take it to an extreme. That's mm -hmm. what I show in the book. But it's about, so something triggers. Now, this can be something from an environment, a past, something triggers. It could be a legacy you carry. Could be we watch our parents get angry. And that, and oh my God, you know, we never want to be like our parents, but they exhibit these things. So we take it on and we're not even sure why we do react. But anyway, so there's an arc. There's a, and a, a situation, a response, and then there's the um, a remorseful phase, like a honeymoon phase. Then the tension starts building up again and can happen. If there's not an intercession there at to understand it more, it can it goes into a loop. It can't help it because there's no intervention there. And and it's really possible to understand that more, especially if it's with a spouse or a child or a coworker to understand that arc. And that's how um, many people are able to step off the wheel, if you will. Mm -hmm. So what are some good techniques to intervene to get off the wheel? Okay. Um, one of the most effective, because I've used it a lot, is that say for instance, let's just take a spouse, two, uh, a husband and wife, okay? Or mm -hmm. two partners, wherever you like. So before they get in a heated discussion, and something gets triggered, they sit down together while things are calm and they establish a safe word or a signal. Could be something really silly. The sillier, the better. Um, for instance, like a, a hand gesture of timeout, like in sports, or someone says the word smurf. Smurf, that mm -hmm. really dates me, but there was a, <laughs> there was a smurf movie that came out or it could be Stewie from Family Guy or anything. Okay. So they, Say so they, they have this signal, they give the signal. And then, uh, because things are start getting heated. The big, one of the things then, you never point your finger at someone and say, you need to take a time out or you need to take a breath. Because the moment you point your finger at somebody and you become parental, it just escalates. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. This so is the best advice I've heard so far on this one. And then the other thing is that you agree to take 20 minutes that's the and the reason 20 minutes is if you've ever been with anyone um not you personally but if any you know uh that said i'm out of here and they leave and you don't know where they went or they abandon you I it do triggers that. abandonment issues yeah. and the other person is just 
oh my God, they're freaking out inside. Uh So 20 minutes. So you establish that where are you going to go? So you're going to go nearby, either out to the garage or walk around the block, but you're not going to leave for an indeterminate amount of time. The other thing is you're not going to call the other person's parent or sibling to tell on them so that they get involved as well. You have to Mm -hmm. keep this between the two of you. So then there's that. And then the other is that um, once you know you're going for 20 minutes, they know where you're going. They know you're coming back in 20 minutes. And the whole point is to cool down is so you can problem solve because that's the essence of it. You need to be able to problem solve. And when it's so heated and you're so upset, you can't do that. So along with that, then you go to your space, you wait that out. You don't engage in anything like boxing. Okay, you go for a walk. You don't do anything that's going to accelerate the adrenal kind of response, right? Right. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That that is. So then you come back in 20 minutes. And Mm -hmm. the other thing is this. You come back, you check in with each other. And if one member can't sit down and talk, you give them more space and time. You do the same thing over. Because sometimes in a couple relationship, one person will literally follow the other person around mm-hmm. wanting to make them talk. And that just doesn't work. So following these guidelines and, you know, anyone can Google this, too. It's very much out there as a way to really help individuals be able to communicate and problem solve without getting beyond, well, with getting beyond their triggers. Hmm. I'm actually writing this down. <laughs> well, you know what? It's because it's these about, are good things that could definitely help me. Oh yeah, they are really good. They they help everyone. I mean, it's really really a positive situation. And then you problem solve, and and you both feel respected, and you both feel accepted and understood. You know. Right. Um. Hmm. So, so um, I don't know. I'm just going to kind of give you the floor for a little bit. Is there anything that I've missed that you would like to talk about? No, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I um, I feel like um, this was great. The, the Big Sandy Publishing, which they've been so great, they were the ones that suggested I reach out to you. And so I'm really glad I did. You know, it's been a very positive experience. And I will definitely send you the... Um, Send you the guided imagery as a download. I think I have your email address. Yeah. Is, is it, it on the... It's everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. Okay, great. At gmail.com. Um, I'll send that to you and let me know. I, I think you'll enjoy it and I think it'll be helpful for you. Um, uh, again, I just want to say thank you. Oh, well, well too. Where, where can my listeners find you and find your book? Oh, Great. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. That's great. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, SallyWolfOnline.com. And the reason why it's SallyWolfOnline.com is that there are a lot of other Sally Wolfs out there. It's a pretty straight, easy name, you know? Yeah. So it's just SallyWolfOnline.com. And then the Amazon is where everybody, or you can buy it directly from the publisher, mm-hmm. Big Sandy Press, Ozark Mountain Press. Awesome. And uh, I think it's a very fast-paced, good read. Um, it's not for the faint of heart, I'll mm-hmm. tell you. It's very real and gritty and uh, 
has some good things in it for everybody. Well, that's good. You know, I think sometimes like that gritty type of stuff has a stronger effect on people. It definitely gets people talking, that's for sure. But <laughs> yeah. I will say people have called me crying because there's tragedy in the book. So uh, I um, life is like that, though, right? <laughs> life is almost all tragedy, <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least when it's ending, you know. Uh, yeah. There's no avoiding it. Um, yeah, so this was fantastic. Thank you so much for being on today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I know you've given me some fantastic advice. And I'm going to put the link to your book into your website in the notes of this episode. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed speaking with you and doing my research about what you do has really brought me a great deal of joy in terms of listening. Thank you. I appreciate it. Ah. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on and you're welcome back anytime. And just hang on for a moment for the outro. Great.